Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. Good to see you all in worship this morning. If you're uh, watching via live stream, my name is David Flowers. I'm the senior pastor here at Grantham. This is the final message in our four-part sermon series, Christ the Center, How the Gospel Shapes Community. Uh, What does it look like to be a Christ-centered church that is faithful to the gospel? How can we be a church that doesn't obsess over boundaries or one that ends up erasing all lines that set us apart as faithful disciples? In this series, we've been looking at how we can know that Christ is the center of our community when we are pursuing Him together, affirming historic Christian beliefs, which we'll see today, and living out our values as Christ followers. So we extend grace to those who are at different places on their journey. To recap our series, we begin message number one with the God of the center. I addressed how our concept of God and our understanding of the gospel will determine the sort of community and culture that exists in the local church. At Grantham, we say Jesus shows us what God is like. You've already heard that this morning. And so we want to worship and know this Jesus and follow him with others in the church for the sake of the world, leading others to the God who looks like Jesus. Therefore, the more we seek the God of the center, the more like him we become individually and as a community. And then in part two, we looked at how the gospel challenges the bounded practice of community and the message, the shriveled fruit of a bounded church. And we recalled how the Pharisees, they practiced this bounded set, but Jesus rejected it. And we spent some time in Galatians chapters one through four where we heard the Apostle Paul explain why focusing on boundary markers isn't consistent with Christ or the gospel of grace. And then last week, if you were here, we covered the meager fruit of a fuzzy church and what it looks like when we erase all lines and boundaries, when we get careless with our beliefs and our discipleship, either to be non-judgmental, often reaction to bounded thinking, or to align ourselves with the spirit of the age and why that is equally a bad idea. Which brings us to the final message the deep well of a centered church. And we're gonna see this morning that there is a third way of being a community that pursues Jesus together, allowing folks to be at different places in their walk with Christ. Also how we discern who is a follower and who isn't, and how we can hold grace and truth together as we live and worship in relationship with one another. Now I hope that you've benefited from this series. It has to come to an end at some point, but 
I want the conversation to continue, and I want us to continue as a congregation to explore the depths of what this means and what this looks like practically and how it's lived out. So you'll continue to hear us talk about being a centered church and just encourage you to grow with us on that. If you have questions or you want to explore this further, pastors here at Grantham are always willing to talk to you about that. Or you can pick up a copy of Mark Baker's book, Centered Set Church, Discipleship and Community Without Judgmentalism. As I've said, each week in this series, I've received both inspiration and guidance from Mark's book, even from Mark himself, to do this series as we at Grantham pursue a centered set approach to being a faith community shaped by the gospel of grace. So I hope that that resonates with you. Again, Mark expounds on three different ways of being community, and here are the images that are intended to help us grasp what each set looks like in function and practice. You can see there the, the bounded church, as we said, the, uh, has clear lines of who is in and out. It focuses on the boundaries. The fuzzy church that where the, there's a removal of all lines and boundaries with no clear direction. This church is a reaction to the bounded and is often seduced by the spirit of the age. And then there is the centered church. And here's the definition we looked at at the beginning of the series and the way of community that we want to follow the Spirit into here at Grantham Church. A centered church discerns who belongs to the group by observing people's relationship with the center, Jesus Christ. The group includes all who are oriented toward the center. Notice the arrows that are pointed toward the center. Not all of them are pointed toward the center, but notice the ones that are. So this common direction toward Christ brings unity. There's space to struggle and fail because they believe that everyone is in process and moving closer to the center. A centered approach remedies the problems of a bounded church, uh, the, the, the problems of a bounded church that, that motivate a fuzzy church to blur boundaries while also avoiding the negative fruit that grows out of a fuzzy approach. So as Baker says, he says the focus of a centered church is on helping people move closer to the center rather than trying to make sure that people aren't crossing lines. This process invites people to explore one another's stories, right, which creates space for nuance and complexity. And I'll add that this means that this form of community is entirely dependent upon the Holy Spirit at work within real, authentic relationships. Now, this is what Jesus intended for his church. Therefore, rather than relying upon boundary markers, which, as we saw, breeds self-righteousness as it utilizes law and guilt and shame to motivate change and uses a one-size-fits-all approach to, with its rules, which often hurts and excludes people as the Pharisees did. We believe that the power of God's grace experienced through Christ and his church to free people and compel us to orient our lives to the cross and pursue the God of the sinner with other disciples. And we become a centered church by holding grace and truth together as we love and worship God and disciple people in Christ, the Scripture the scriptures and the Spirit's power to radically love our neighbors and our world. Does that sound familiar to you? That's our, our mission statement. And so remember what the scriptures tell us in John chapter 1, verses 14 and 17. The Word, that is Jesus Christ, became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. Very literally in the Greek, he tabernacled with us. It's God's presence with us on the earth. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And one way to think about the extremes of the bounded and the fuzzy churches is to say the bounded church emphasizes uh, truth, often without grace, and the fuzzy churches tend to emphasize grace, but let the truth go, either because they've lost the truth entirely and assimilated themselves to the secular age, or they still believe some truth but don't want to hurt people's feelings. But folks, Neither of those look like the God who looks like Jesus. Amen? While both often come from a place of sincere concern, they both fall short of what Christ lived, taught, and envisioned for his church. And that's why the bounded folks need to know that line drawing won't get us closer to God's ideal. And the fuzzy folks need to see that erasing the lines and removing the word sin from our vocabulary is also not the way that Jesus calls us to love God and our neighbor. Now, God's grace to us does not mean we give up denying ourselves to carry the cross or give up on accountability and holiness. Now, listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. He said, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we go on sinning? You see, this is how a lot of people interpreted Paul's preaching of this gospel of grace because for most of them, they were bounded in their thinking. They just could not imagine how people would stay together and continue to pursue holiness outside of the bounded set. But Paul is trying to explain to them the mystery and the power of the gospel of grace. The grace that Christ gives us and frees us up to then choose obedience, not to be obligated or coerced or guilted or shamed into that process. So notice Paul answers the question they are asking here. Shall we just go on sinning so grace may increase? Paul says very strongly, of course not, or in the NIV, by no means, or in modern vernacular, heck no, let's put it nicely. Verse 16, he says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Paul says, this is true freedom. Not the right just to do whatever you want, but the, but the ability to choose God's way. The way of righteous living, the way of holiness, the way of Jesus. In uh, the commentary, True to Our Native Land, it's an African-American New Testament commentary I've already quoted from once in this series. Uh, Thomas Hoyt Jr. writes, there is no such thing as absolute human freedom. Humans are not free in themselves. They must live under a lordship. They are obedient slaves, either to sin, whose end is death, or to righteousness, whose end is life. We need to hear that. And so we hold grace and truth together, just as Jesus showed us in John chapter 8. You can flip over there and look at that story if you need a reminder of it. It was just where the woman is caught in adultery, and we therefore, like Jesus, extend grace. Remember Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. You look around the world today, there's a lot of accusing going on. 
Jesus says, I don't accuse you. But here's the truth. Jesus tells her, now go and sin no more. And it's people like this woman who experience the grace of God and then because of that experience respond to the truth that we are loved by God and made in his image, but we're broken and not as we should be. We've sinned, but we can be restored. We fall short, but there's mercy and grace, hallelujah. We stumble and fall, but we can get back up and again continue pursuing the center together. But if we're going to experience this sort of community together, we must transcend the bounded, fuzzy continuum. One of the things I wanted to try to communicate through this image is for us to see that this kind of community truly is a gift from God, can only be experienced when empowered by God. This is a heavenly community, a heavenly community that has left the world's way of thinking. And I said this last week, just to help connect the dots for us. A lot of folks who are more conservative politically tend to veer off toward the bounded, and those who are more progressive or liberal in their politics seem to sort of veer off toward the fuzzy. And I said, we got to get off this crazy trend, right? Because Jesus cannot be found in these extreme ideologies. Jesus calls us to a third way. And if we're trapped in that kind of thinking, we cannot solve problems. And we cannot love people in those extremes. We can't. We have to hold grace and truth together. The only way to experience this kind of community is to transcend the bounded fuzzy continuum. So this does away with the fences and boundary markers and the fuzzy secular ideas of tolerance and inclusion. But don't miss this. There is a gravity to having Christ as the center. Or some of you are a little bit familiar with astronomy. Uh, you, you may be familiar with this idea of gravity. You think about our sun is so large, it is so huge. You think of like a bowling ball on a mattress. If you put anything else on the mattress, it sort of goes in toward the center. And so the very weight of the sun bends space and time and keeps all of the planets in an orbit. Does that make sense? You follow me? Some, some of you are like, oh, I, I understand what you're saying. Some of you are like, oh, I never thought of that. Well, this is what happens. And so the weight of Christ in a centered church keeps us in orbit. You follow that? And this is what we're calling folks to do and to see, to experience. And how does that work? Well, let's think about it this way. I recently watched a a documentary on Australia. You know, it's crazy to think that the vast majority of Australia is not inhabited with people. You ever think about that? It's It's just a barren kind of wasteland. The Australian outback covers more than 70% of the continent. The land is so dry and the landscape so massive that ranchers and farmers have an interesting way of maintaining and containing their cattle and their sheep. And since it costs farmers way too much to build fences, here's what they do. They dig wells. Think about it. Look, you see that picture there, these windmills that are pumping up water where they've created wells. The livestock, oh, they will roam, but not too far from the water source because they must keep returning to the well to drink and live. Isn't that a beautiful image? This is what it means to have Christ truly the center of our church and operate according to the gospel of grace. And so it is with Christ and the centered church. And this metaphor of Jesus being a well 
is actually one he himself used in John chapter four. You may recall Jesus saying this to the woman at the well. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is saying, I am the well. Point your arrow to me. Get your life from me, and you won't roam too far. You'll see there's nothing that compares to me. There's nothing that can satisfy like I can satisfy. There's nothing that can quench your thirst like me. So get this picture. In our own congregation, how do we know who is a Christ follower and who is with us on gospel mission? Instead of using boundaries and boundary markers and focusing on them, it isn't as I said a couple weeks ago that we don't have boundaries. We do. As I said this last Sunday as well. We do, but we don't focus on them. So as Jesus said, we only need to look at the fruit of a person's life and the orientation of their heart. Is their life aimed at Christ? Here's another image for you. What evidence or fruit reveals that we are pursuing the center? And again, the best way to be able to observe this is actually to walk in real authentic relationships with each other. Do you see this? It's like being close to each other like family. This is, this is how you would know naturally and organically if a person's heart is aimed at Jesus the center. But there are lots of things. I'll give you an idea, a handful of ideas here. We're, are we present with the church? Right? Are, are we growing in our faith? Are we repenting of our sins? Are we acknowledging that there is such a thing as sins? Are, are we displaying the fruit of the Spirit? Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so forth. Are, are we submitting to biblical instruction and correction? Showing that we're not the center of our universe. We're not calling the shots. That there's one who's greater than us who calls us and tells us how to live. And we are also including ourselves in on what the Spirit is doing. Notice that it's a self-inclusion in the centered church. You include yourself by pointing your heart toward Jesus, by aiming your life at Christ. And the rest of us who are doing that, we're saying, come on, there's plenty of room at the table for you. In his book, Reading Paul, New Testament scholar Michael J. Gorman writes this. He says, the inclusion that Paul experiences, preaches, and practices is not an inclusion that's lacking teeth or limits. His gospel does not say all are welcome just as they are, but rather all are welcome just as they are to be apprehended by and fully converted to Jesus Christ. You see that? Much different than what we hear in the world. And some Christians are parroting, but we mustn't do that. Holding grace and truth together says God accepts us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And so we need language, you see, to describe those who are not part of our Jesus-centered communities, not in a boundary marker sort of way, but those who we identify that we want to invite to come and join us as we drink from the life-giving water of Jesus. Amen? Now think about that. Look at the center. So this cross sort of uh, 
obviously, it communicates Jesus at the center. Let's zoom in further at Christ the center for a better understanding of what it looks like to be including yourself with us here at Grantham and drinking from the well. We might ask the question, well, which Jesus? We're not talking about the Republican Jesus or the Democratic Jesus. We're talking about the Jesus of the New Testament who can't be forced in any of our boxes or categories. And folks, as your pastor, I refuse to be sucked into the sort of virtue signaling that a lot of people are being sucked into today, right? If you're looking for just some virtue signaling on social media from your pastor, you're not going to get it. People simply want to say, this is the tribe I'm a part of. And we don't recognize the extreme ideologies that are working we've seen in the last couple days, haven't we? You're not going to solve problems there. You can't love people there. You won't find Jesus there. Amen or oh me? Okay. Look at this picture. And you see, if, if we're focused on Jesus, this is a, a graphic that we've used before. I've tweaked it a little bit. You think Christ the center. This is Jesus Christ as revealed in the New Testament. That Jesus shows us what God is like and God has always been like. We've not always known this. But thank him, we know this now. So this Jesus is at the center. He's at the center of our church life. And, and just to show how we parse out the different weightedness of beliefs and how we separate these things out, we have what is considered dogma right around the center of Jesus Christ. So what do we say about Jesus? What, is, what have we historically confessed about Jesus? You notice off to the, to the left of the graphic, the historic Orthodox Christian beliefs, which come out in the early creeds. Uh, that, that testify to Jesus' full humanity and divinity of Jesus. Because you get that wrong, if you get that part wrong, it's going to skew your whole life into a direction that doesn't reflect Jesus or the teachings and practices of the church. We also have beliefs like God is the Trinity. So what we believe matters because it impacts behavior. Behavior flows out of belief. So there's dogma. And then there's the doctrine. You notice that next level, uh, which encompasses beliefs, traditions, and faith practices or interpretations of the dogma and of the Bible, and specifically for denominations like our own, the Brethren in Christ, it, it encompasses the BIC values and distinctives. And then there's everything else which we would consider in the realm of opinion or, or matters of the conscience, right, where we give liberty regarding those non-essential matters. And we need to be careful that we're not throwing matters in the realm of opinion into doctrine and dogma when they have lesser importance. So think about, th this is what we mean when we say we're aiming our hearts and orient our hearts to Christ who's the center of our community. There's a lot more to be said about that, but I'm going to have to leave it there. You can take a picture of this or get it later on our website to go back and think about it, reflect with your small group on its implications. But Baker writes this, shifting from fence building to digging a well also changes the role of beliefs within a church. When doctrines are treated as a fence, they function as a litmus test. Now, who's experienced that before, right? In a bounded church, doctrine can degenerate to mostly a means of defining who's in and who's out. A centered church frees doctrine to be much more than right belief. Doctrine becomes life-giving well water by helping people in the church align with and journey toward the center. 
It helps us stay on the path to Jesus. That's the way we should view it. Therefore, when disciples who identify with us are not making decisions in keeping with their self-professed aim that their arrow is, is now pointed away from Christ, then we must, as Paul said in Galatians 6 verse 1, restore them gently, restore them gently into the fold. And again, you can only do that when you're walking closely with people. Then we've earned the authority and in the right even to speak truth to them. Does that make sense? Not from on high, not pronouncements from up on high, not, not that, that way, but shepherding within the personal and intimate spaces of the church. This is why sometimes we look a little suspect, if we're honest, or should look a little suspect when people are staying away from the personal and the intimate spaces. It says, I'm not interested in accountability. I'm not interested in friendship. I'm not interested in airing my dirty laundry. I'm not interested in vulnerability and so forth and so on. This is why Jesus is all, always calling people out of the public space and not just staring at back of somebody's head on Sunday morning, but into the face-to-face, -face because this is where discipleship really gets played out. Are you following me? All right. To help us see this in practice, I want to share a few stories from Baker's book and ask you to listen to these centered set examples to how we lovingly show concern, practice accountability, and lead other, other folks to the deep well of Christ. Let's listen to a few examples. I thought this would help us to know practically what does it look like, right? I, I, we, at this point, most of you could probably say, okay, I get the bounded, even experienced that, don't want to do that. And fuzzy, I can see that. Maybe you've not experienced it so much, but you can certainly see where a lot of the church is going in that direction. Again, because that's what we do so well in America is we just react one extreme and jump the road into the other ditch. But again, we need to see Jesus at the center and understand what this centered approach looks like and say it's a, better, it's a better way. Here's what Baker shares in his book. A situation that came up repeatedly in my conversations with ministry leaders was how to respond to two people who are living together before marriage, which is, of course, a very common thing now uh, in our secular age. A home group leader named Steve asked himself this question when a woman from his group started living with her boyfriend, who was also a Christian but attended a different church. The woman knew what she was doing was out of line, and she hid. She pulled back from the group. Steve discerned with other leaders and thought that it would be best for some people from the group whom she trusted to take initiative and address the situation directly. Steve recalls, I did not say I have observed this, it is wrong, we need to talk. Rather, I said, hey, I care about you. I'm wondering how this is going. I wanna see you thrive in your relationship with Christ. Can we talk? He said, when we did talk, I did not start by pronouncing judgment, I said, Help me understand your perspective. She said, I know what I'm doing is not ideal. So we did not tell her, you're out. <laughs> I think she was waiting for that. If she had acknowledged struggle, it might have been different, but she did not need that if she had not acknowledged struggle. Her huddle journeyed with her the whole way. Her huddle, huddle was like a small group. They took initiative, not just the leader. They gave relational support, none of which was about judgment. In time, she came back to the group. The couple is engaged and not living together. He said, I asked Steve if he always uses this same approach. He said no and told me that he recently confronted someone else. One eccentric member of the group is a follower of Jesus, but in Steve's words, is all over the map 
open to every new thing, most recently smoking spirit plants. He kept pushing his new things on others in the group saying, try this or read this, which was bothering several people in the group. Steve had a close relationship with this person and first affirmed him saying, I know that you are in love with Jesus. Kind of reminds me of Paul's approach in Mars Hill. You remember he walks up, sees all of those idols, and what does he say? You wicked, terrible idolaters. No, he says, I see that you're very religious, right? I know you're in love with Jesus, and then he challenged him directly saying, you are disrupting the flock, brother. And Steve agreed to read some of his literature, and then Steve and two other members from the group met with him, and they said, this behavior is inconsistent with where we are trying to go. They did not communicate that he was out or tell him that he could not be part of the group anymore. And Steve reports, he responded well. He didn't like it, but agreed to back off. He changed his behavior, and in fact, my relationship with him is even stronger. Now note the difference in Steve's approach for these two situations. Rather than focusing on the action, which is what the Bounded Church often does, Steve focused on the person and on the relationship. This calls for discernment. Scott Corlin, an executive pastor of ministry, says that before any intervention, he has a conversation with other church staff and lay leaders. He asks, help me think through this. How do we handle this in a centered way? A key key question they ask is, what is most loving for this person? Now, doesn't that sound like something Jesus would do? Here's another one. Asking questions is a great way to begin a loving, centered intervention, and sometimes the best approach is only to ask questions. And Jesus did that. You remember, folks asked Jesus a lot of questions. He sometimes rejected those questions and asked his own. Asking questions is a great way to move forward. Dave Obwald, a care pastor at a large church, recalls a time when two leaders were walking with the same person. One leader started demonizing the other, criticizing his approach, and praising his own. And Dave asked him, what led you to assume that he's not also lovingly accompanying the person? As they conversed, conversed, Dave continued asking questions. Do you have a tendency not to assume the best of others? (laughs) Is your default to think negatively of them? The man pondered these questions and acknowledged that his tendency was to be negative. And Dave asked, how do you think Jesus would have responded differently in that moment? Doesn't that sound very parental. Len and I do this with, with our boys. Some of you are shaking your heads, right? It was like, now let's think about how we could have handled that a little differently. I hear Lana say that a lot to our boys. Let's think about that. How could we have handled, and not just leave it rhetorical, but actually let them respond. It's not, it's not comfortable, but it's the best way to lead and to guide. Beliefs, he says, are a part of a church's center. So a centered church must respond when someone's beliefs do not cohere with the center. But it's best to do so in a way that invites further conversation. Consider the following questions to ask when someone's thoughts diverge from the center. How do you see that in Jesus? How do you see that in the Bible? Can you tell me more about that? I would love to converse more about your perspectives. You see, in a centered church, there's room for people to explore as they journey toward the center. Asking questions or inviting conversation, however, should not be mistaken for passivity. Matt Miles, a home group leader, observes that he has committed to practice the centered approach, and he has become less passive. When some people from his home group decided to leave the church because of a difference in biblical interpretation, 
Matt did not let them leave without exploring the topic together and having a further conversation. In a fuzzy church, he would likely not press the issue, or he would just say, it doesn't matter, we can have different perspectives. In a bounded church, he would see the issue as a line, anyone who crossed it would be out. But Matt desired further conversation because he loved the people and did not want to see them leave the church. And he also cared deeply about his commitment to the church's center. He longed for them to have the same life-giving experience with the center as he did. And then Baker says, Centered intervention is done from the perspective that ethics is a gift. A centered intervention must be rooted in and wrapped with love and must be seen as part of naming someone. Right? I see you. Loving interventions require the same essential characteristics of everything we do in a centered church. And you see this in Jesus. Humility. Compassion. Trust. Curiosity. Vulnerability. Creativity and a sense of safety. In addition, Paul exhorts us, exhorts us to intervene with gentleness. From those who practice restorative justice, we note the importance of recognizing that the person involved is more than just the action in question. What is it, Brian Stevenson said, you're worse, you're, you're better, what, what has that saying go? Uh, you're, you're more than the worst thing that you've ever done, right? It's a very Jesus-centered thing to say. So rather than trying to shame or stigmatize someone, a loving intervention intentionally seeks to avoid shame or stigmatization, finally drawing both from Scripture and practice of restorative justice. The goal is restoration. It is reintegration. And Jesus models all of these. So let's, let's think about this. Finally, let, let's sum up what the deep well of a centered church looks like. Here are some characteristics of that. I'll just go through these quickly. You've seen us do these the last couple of weeks with the, the, uh, the, the shriveled fruit of the bounded church and the meager fruit of a fuzzy church. Here is what a deep well of a centered church looks like. First, it promotes a portrait of God that looks like Jesus. It is full of grace and truth. It is accepting, it is forgiving, but it's also confronting and challenging. It upholds the qualities and the characters of Jesus, which looks like compassion, curiosity, right? Tell me more about that. Tell me how uh, you square this thinking and behavior with what the scripture teaches. And, And creativity, and safety, and trust, and holiness, and humility. The deep well of a centered church operates according to what is relational and what is restorative. It prioritizes people rather than the rules and the lines. It doesn't just see their actions, it sees them as a person. Also, it uses language, and this is often what comes when we are changing our paradigm here. It it changes our language, and language creates culture, so language is important because language shouldn't be bounded and it shouldn't be fuzzy, it should be centered. And so gone are the days that we use that bounded language of you should do this and you ought to do this. Rather, we say, if you will do this. I like what Paul often says is, let us. Let us be about doing this, church. Like he's, even though, like with the church of Corinth, they are living like the devil in many ways, he still calls them saints. And he calls them into their true identity. Let us live this way together. 
The deep well of a centered church means that beliefs and doctrines are guideposts. Guideposts pointing people to Jesus. This is the way to life. This is the way to keep your heart oriented and pointed and aimed at the center. And then lastly, boundaries then are guardrails that keep us on the road to God's blessings because folks, God's boundaries are for our blessing. Say that. God's boundaries are for our blessings and it ensures church health as well as individual health and the integrity of our witness. So in closing, here are some questions to help us to respond to the Spirit. And I trust that the Spirit is speaking to you this morning, maybe about some very specific things, maybe about the way that you're living, maybe some of the decisions that you're making, maybe the way that you viewed church more bounded, and, and, and maybe you grew up in that, that bounded church, and now you've sort of been gravitating more to the fuzzy, and the Spirit is saying, Let's transcend the bounded fuzzy continuum. There is a better way, a more heavenly way. So here's some questions for us to help us think of that. Is your life, number one, is your life oriented around Christ and the gospel, or is it something else? Is Jesus the aim of your heart? Is your arrow pointed at the center? And if you feel there's some areas in your life where it's not, just speak to the Lord about that, wherever you're at. Number two, how is the Spirit calling you to live into the centered church? Maybe it's, it's, this message has had you, and this whole series has had you think about some bounded or fuzzy things that you've been doing. Not just ways you're thinking about the church, but some practices. How is the Spirit calling you to live into a more centered church? Approach holding grace and truth together. And then lastly, number three, what steps can you begin to take today that would lead you closer to the center with others here at Grantham Church? We often say here at Grantham, what is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? I pray that you will listen to the Spirit and respond to how the Spirit is leading for such a time as this. We don't need more bounded communities. We certainly don't need fuzzy communities. We need churches that are centered on Christ to show the world and to put on display there is another way. But in order to get there, we need to ask Jesus for his help and rely upon each other as we discover it together. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, we are thankful for this word that Jesus and the apostles of the New Testament give us to imagine a heavenly way of being community together. Father, we know that the world is just lost, especially the West just caught in the trap of the extremes. But Lord, we know and we hear this morning through the preaching of the word and through the gospel as it testifies that there is no real progress in that way. 
And that, Lord, you have called us into a different kind of kingdom, into a different kind of community, one that operates according to grace and truth. Give us a vision for that, Lord. And help us, Holy Spirit, as we apply this message to our own faith, our own walk, as well as to our community here at Grantham. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And all of God's people said, Amen. The song that we've been singing throughout this series, Be the Center, is, is our prayer. So I invite you as we sing to take a posture of prayer, what, whatever that looks like um, for you. Let's sing together. Yeah. 
Amen. We are living in extreme days. Uh, but we have a Lord who wants to walk with us and empower us to follow him and be the salt and light that he calls us to be in the world today. Uh, before we close with a prayer and benediction, real quick, I, I want to introduce you to, and if you're watching the live stream, you're just going to get a graphic here. Uh, we have some global workers that are here with us that are serving in a sensitive area, and they're going to be having a lunch after the service. But I want to just introduce you uh, to D&MG. That's what we're going to call them, D&MG this morning. Uh, why don't you come up and just share a little bit before we close. Good morning, what a delight to be with you guys. We are DNMG and we work in the Middle East. Uh, we have primarily two different streams. Uh, we work with Syrian refugees uh, and we do a lot of compassion and aid work uh, up in the uh, northern part of our country. The other part, you know, as we continue to meet more and more Syrian refugees over the past nine years living there, we kept hearing more and more stories of trauma and abuse and violence, as you can imagine, for people who are living or have been living in war. And so we asked ourselves, we kept praying to Jesus, and we were like, what is our response to this? As believers, what can we do in this situation? We're helping with food packages, reading the word together, reading the Bible, but we wanted to do more, because God's heart is always to bring healing, right? Amen? Mm -hmm. So what we created is child protection curriculum. Child protection curricula curriculum is a preventative, on the preventative side of abuse and trauma. So the, what we do, it's in English and Arabic, and the whole point is to lessen the likelihood of childhood sexual abuse. That is a big part of what we're doing in the Arab world. And the other part then is healing groups. So we have the preventative side, and then we have the healing side because that's always God's heart. So you can hear lots of stories of, the, of this happening. You can have some good food, and we'd love to see you after the service. We look forward to being able to be um, just more open and, and transparent and give uh, more details we hope to see at the lunch. Thank you, guys. It's, it's a pleasure to have you here with us. So. Let's put a hand on our heart, folks. Can we do that together? And why don't we stand as we do this? Put a hand on our heart. Pray this with me. Father God, fill us with your love. Help us to love you and everything that you've made. Now let's point to our eyes. Lord Jesus, help us to see you and to see others the way that you see them too. Now let's point to our ears. Holy Spirit, help us to hear you and give us courage to do what you say. Grantham Church, may you be filled with the Holy Spirit this week as you follow the God who looks like Jesus. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.